Welcome to this episode of Come Follow Me, A Disciple's Journey. This episode, uh, we'll talk about section 27 of the Doctrine and Covenants. So, section 27, some context. Uh, remember we studied about, uh, last week, the baptisms that were interrupted by mobs and persecutors. They broke the dam. Uh, the saints had to rebuild it so that they could uh, do perform the baptisms. As soon as the baptisms were over, Joseph was arrested. As soon as he was released from that arrest uh, and the charges were dropped, he was immediately arrested by a constable from another neighboring county, and the process repeated itself. And so when all was said and done, it had been several months, and there were uh, several of those people who had been baptized that day that were not uh, confirmed and given the gift of the Holy Ghost yet. Uh, among those were Sally Knight and uh, Emma Smith. The, the Knights came to visit Joseph and Emma, and they wanted to partake. They were going to get together, and they were going to partake of the sacrament, and they decided that would be a good opportunity to also confirm Sally and Emma. So Joseph set off to um, get some wine for the sacrament. And oftentimes, as we've as we've studied in uh, this week, this year so far, in the sections of the Doctrine and Covenants, the the revelations given to Joseph were given because of questions, whether questions that he had, questions that others had that they came to him with, and he would take them to the Lord. This section is slightly different in that Joseph didn't really ask anything; he was just on his way to do something. Didn't know there was revelation needed. Angel appeared to him and spoke uh, in the name and in behalf of Christ as a representative of Christ. And so uh, the revelation came from an angel, but you'll see uh, some first person types of things, which isn't uncommon for a messenger uh, to, to deliver a message in a first person fashion representing the Lord. Um, the, the main point takeaway that I get, and again, this is me. So you might get something different. Um, is that this wasn't this isn't a revelation about wine about the uh, or related to the word of wisdom. So the angel appears and says, "Don't use wine. Don't go get wine from people that you don't know. Only use wine if it's of your own making." And so Joseph returns, and they end up. Uh, making their own wine at this time, which I think that's an important thing to know, is that for uh, quite a while after this even, the saints did use wine in the sacrament, but it was wine that they would prepare and they would make themselves. The issue at hand is that it doesn't matter what you use so long as, uh, as the angel said, if it so be that ye do it with an eye single to my glory, Again, speaking for the Lord, so an eye single to the glory of God to Christ. That's what it's about. This this section, this revelation is not about wine. It's not about the word of wisdom. It's about our intents. It's about our hearts. It's about our desires. As we partake of the sacrament, have we prepared? Have we prepared all week to partake of the sacrament? Our preparation for the for the sacrament should begin really in a never-ending circle in that it should begin as we 
are partaking of the sacrament the week before. And it's, the way, and it's the way we live our life that week. And obviously we make mistakes. We always make mistakes. That's why repentance is there. And, and the Lord knows that. that. But that's what it is. That it's, are we taking advantage of that? Repentance isn't the backup plan in case we do fail. Repentance is the plan knowing that we will fail. So Lindsay Robbins taught us. And so are we taking advantage of that? Are we repenting every day? Are we seeking to be humble and to be better? And as we talk about the um, armor of God here, I think maybe I'll even kind of jump into that a little bit here. As well, Right now, President Nelson said, there is not one great and grand thing we can do to arm ourselves spiritually. True spiritual power lies in numerous smaller acts woven together in a fabric of spiritual fortification that protects and shields from all evil. That's what, and that's the preparation for the sacrament. That's the, that's how we can show that we have uh, an eye single to the glory of God. What are the what are the parts of the body that are listed? And again, I'll talk about, a little bit more in depth here in a minute. But uh, what are the parts of the body that are listed in protection for by the armor of God? Our heart, our brain, our loins. Our, it, you know, it's, it reflects our actions, but also our desires and our thoughts. Um, for those of you who have listened recently to the podcast, I've mentioned that I'm learning Hebrew. Um, an interesting note. Now, again, I'm still novice, and as I'm saying this, I had it all planned, and I was like, I'm going to share this cool thing. And now the word has left me, and so I don't remember what it is right now. But uh, there, it's interesting because there is a, a single word that can be translated into English as heart, might, or will. And so as we read about our, you know, being uh, an eye single to the glory of God and, and serving Him with all of our heart, might, mind, and will, it struck me that we get that and we think of them as being kind of the separate, distinct thing. But in the you know, Old Testament and in the in Hebrew version uh, and Hebrew word, that it's one thing, it's one idea. It's our because it is us. It's about giving ourselves, being single to his glory. And that's what this section is about. It's about the importance of the sacrament. It's to point our minds to the fact that the Savior instituted the sacrament right before he died and, and uh, was hung on the cross and suffered for us in Gethsemane and on the cross. And then when he appeared to the people in the Americas, to the Nephites, one of the first things he did was institute the sacrament. Here early on in the beginnings of the church, what do, what do we have? The very first meeting, there was a sacrament. It was, the importance of the sacrament is what stood out to me in this section. So just a couple more notes about that and just some historical information and just to kind of show, show it doesn't matter what we're using. Um, what matters is who we are and, and our, and our uh, intents and hearts and desires. Um, so President Joseph Fielding Smith, in talking about uh, it not mattering, what we use for the sacrament, said this heavenly messenger, he's referring actually to section 27 as well, the heavenly messenger told Joseph Smith that it mattered not what should be used for the sacrament, and he was not to purchase wine or strong drink from his enemies. The reason for this is obvious, for the prophet had many enemies. However, this reason went farther than merely protection against his enemies. 
but it was a caution against evil and designing persons who would adulterate these things, meaning wine. So there is this, uh, from what President Joseph Fielding Smith says here, there's this beginnings of a connection to the Word of Wisdom, but it's not the main heart of it. As a matter of fact, in uh, World War II, saints, in uh, mainly in Europe, uh, because bread was scarce and couldn't, well, it was hard to come by at times because of bombings and the war and the war effort and uh, all of the resources going to support armies and everything, just all those things combined, uh, would use potato chunks or the skins of potatoes instead of bread because it didn't matter. What mattered was that they were gathering together oft to uh, have the supper of the Lord and that they had their, their hearts knit together and that their intentions and that their um, eyes were single to his glory. Uh, Elder James Hamula said, significantly when Jesus visited his disciples in the Americas, he also instituted the sacrament among them. In doing so, he said, this shall ye always do, uh, observe, to, observe to do, and it shall be a testimony unto the Father that you do always remember me. Again, at the outset of the Restoration, the Lord instituted the ordinance of the sacrament, giving instructions to us similar to those he gave his earlier disciples. The ordinance of the sacrament has been called, quote, one of the most holy and sacred ordinances in the church. In my judgment, the, sacred, the sacrament meeting is the most sacred and most holy of all the meetings of the church. It needs to become more holy and sacred to each of us. Jesus Christ himself instituted the ordinance to remind us what he did to redeem us and to teach us how we may avail ourselves of his redemption and thereby live with God again. So again, it's it's about the holiness and this, this uh, sacredness of, uh, of the sacrament. Um, verses 5 through 14, the, the Savior uh, addresses us, addresses Joseph and tells him that there will be a time when he will drink of the fruit of the vine with us. And what he's referring to is, uh, in the, in the last days, uh, he will. There will be a, a great sacrament meeting, uh, when the saints have gathered, and the, and the, and the Savior is among us, and we will partake of the sacrament, in His presence with Him, and He will partake of it with us. He told the His. Uh, Apostles, this uh, in Luke, he said, this is from the, the history of the church by, uh, I can't find this, or sorry, I apologize. But he said, the Savior informed his apostles on the night he ate the Passover that he would not drink of the fruit of the vine with them again until he should drink it anew with them in the kingdom of God. Uh, you can see that in Luke 22 and Matthew 26, when that, the reference to that. Um, verse 5, the Savior says, Behold, this is wisdom in me, wherefore marvel not, for the hour cometh that I will drink of the fruit of the vine with you on the earth, and with Moroni, whom I have sent unto you to reveal the Book of Mormon, containing the fullness of my everlasting gospel, to whom I have committed the keys of the record of the stick of Ephraim. So here we clearly learn that the Book of Mormon represents the stick of Ephraim. Uh, we can learn in Second Nephi, uh, chapter 27, 2 uh, Nephi chapter 3, Ezekiel 37, about the growing together of the stick of Judah and the stick of 
uh, Ephraim and what they represent and we've learned from the Book of Mormon and from modern revelation is that the stick of Judah is, is the Bible and the stick of uh, represents the Bible and the stick of Ephraim represents the Book of Mormon and when they are grow together they confound false doctrines is, is what Nephi learned um, another I got two more points I want to get to in talking about section 27 here. Uh, the first is Elias, and then I'll get to the armor of God. Um, Joseph Fielding Smith. So who is Elias? That's a question that needs to be discussed. It says in verse 6, and also with Elias. And you'll note, as you study your scriptures this week, uh, there's a, there is a footnote, A, to Elias. And it leads you to the Bible Dictionary entry for Elias. A lot of what I'm about to share uh, you can find in the Bible Dictionary. I would highly recommend reading that entry uh, as an explanation of who or what Elias is. Who and what, I should say, actually. But Joseph Fielding Smith said, Elias came and restored the gospel of Abraham. Who was Elias? That question is frequently asked. Well, Elias was Noah, who came and restored his keys. Uh, the priesthood was at first given to Adam. He obtained the first presidency and held the keys of it from generation to generation. He obtained it in the creation before the world was formed. So Noah came back. It was an Elias in restoring that. Uh, he, Adam, had dominion given him over every living creature. He is Michael, the archangel, spoken of the scriptures. Then Noah, who is Gabriel, he stands in authority to Adam in the priesthood. He was called of God to this office and was father of all living in his day, and to him was given dominion. These men held keys first on earth and then in heaven. It was Gabriel who appeared to Zacharias and promised him a son, and who appeared to Mary and announced the coming of the Son of God as recorded by Luke. It was also Gabriel as Elias who mentioned, who is mentioned in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 27, verse 7. It was Gabriel or Noah who stands next to Michael or Adam in priesthood. So, uh, Joseph Filling Smith specifically mentions Noah and Gabriel, who is Gabriel, as um, being Elias. Okay, that's one. Uh, Bruce Alan McConkey said, Correcting the Bible by the Spirit of Revelation, the prophet restored a statement of John the Baptist, which says that Christ is the Elias who was to restore all things. By Revelation, we are also informed that the Elias who was to restore all things is the angel Gabriel who is known in mortality as Noah. From the same authentic source, we also learn that the promised Elias is John, the revelator. Thus, there are three different revelations which name Elias as being three different persons. What do we conclude? By finding uh, an answer to the question by whom, he ha by whom has the restoration been effected, we shall find who Elias is and find there is no problem in harmonizing these apparently contradictory revelations. Who has restored all things? Was it one man? Certainly not. Many angelic ministrants have sent have been sent from the courts of glory to confer keys and powers to commit their dispensations and glories to the to men on earth. At least the following have come: Moroni, John the Baptist, Peter, James, John, Moses, Elijah, Elias. There was an actual man named Elias. Gabriel, Raphael, Michael. Since it is apparent that no one messenger has carried the whole burden of the restoration, but rather each has come with a specific endowment from on high, it becomes clear that Elias is, comp is a composite personage. The expression must be understood to be a name and a title for those who, whose mission it was to commit the keys and power to men in this final dispensation. 
So it's it is a person. There was a man, an actual man named Elias, but also a title or or responsibility. All right, let's talk about the armor of God. So, what what do we have? We've got the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the your loins girt about with truth, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. So, what does that mean? Well, Harold B. Lee, I found a quote. He explains quite a bit uh, about this and shares some pretty good thoughts. He said, We have the four parts of the body that are most vulnerable to the power of darkness. The loins to providing virtue and chastity. The heart to define our conduct. Our feet, our goals or objectives. And, and finally, our head, our thoughts. We should have our loins girded about with truth. What is truth? Truth, as the Lord said, was knowledge of things as they really were and things as they are to come. Our loins shall be girded about with truth. My question to you is, how does truth protect virtue? I have some thoughts on that, but I think that's a thought that uh, should be pondered by by each of us. How how does knowing how things really were, how they really are, and how they really will be, truth? How how should that impact, and how can that impact our virtue, our chastity? Um. One thought that I had was that truth is a knowledge of those things, right? As they were, are, and will be. Well, in section 121, we learned that if we let virtue garnish our thoughts, we we will, uh, the doctrine of the priesthood will be distilled upon our us as the dews from heaven. So... By having virtue and letting virtue garnish our thoughts, it leads to knowledge, to truth. Which then, if we have that knowledge of truth, it can gird our loins and protect our virtue. And it is this cycle that can kind of be self-perpetuating. But how does that truth lead to protecting our, our virtue? I think it's a question to ask yourself. Next, presently said... And our heart, what kind of breastplate shall protect our, our conduct in life? We shall have uh, We shall have over our hearts a breastplate of righteousness. Well, having learned the truth, we have a me- measure by which we can judge between right and wrong. So our conduct will always be a gauge by that thing which we know to be true. Our, bless- our breastplate to cover our conduct shall be the breastplate of righteousness. One thought I had about that is, is obedience. Once we have this knowledge of truth, what do we do with it? Are we righteous? Are we obedient? And it and that will protect our our hearts, our desires. By what shall we protect our feet, or what shall we gauge our objective or goals in life? Your feet should be shod by, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. How fortunate are you if in your childhood, in the home of your father and mother, you were taught the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the Living God, the meaning of baptism, and what you gained by the laying out of hands for the gift of the Holy Ghost. Fortunate is the child who has been taught to pray and who has been given those steps to take on through life, feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Having the knowledge of the gospel impacts our goals, our objectives in life, and where we're going because we know our relation to God. We know that we need to repent. We know the power of baptism and the, of the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
Finally, the helmet of salvation. What is salvation? Salvation is to be saved. Saved from what? Saved from death and from sin. The Apostle Paul had his armored man holding in his hand a shield. Uh, and then also, so that's, stop, helmet of salvation. Our thoughts. What should our thoughts be about? What 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 should our, our mind be centered around? What our eye should be single to the glory of God. Our goals, our objectives, our feet shod with preparation, but also our thoughts being centered around pure, purity and around salvation and our hope for salvation. Paul had a, his armored man holding a shield and in his other hand a sword, which were the weapons of those days. That shield was the shield of faith and the sword was the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. I can't think of any more powerful weapons than faith and a knowledge of the Scriptures in the which are contained the Word of God. One so armored and so prepared that those weapons is prepared to go out against the enemy that is more to be feared than the enemies of the light. More to be feared than the enemies that come in the daylight that we can see are the enemies that strike in the darkness of, of the night that we can't see with our eyes. I'll, a couple notes that I have and thoughts about the shield of faith. If we have faith, our, our, our righteousness, our obedience may be faltering. If we have faith in, in Christ and in, in God, if we put more trust in the things that we do know than in the things we don't know, if we doubt our doubts before we doubt our faith, if we have that shield of faith, then our head may be vulnerable. Maybe our, our, our thoughts are a little askew, but if we can remember our faith for a short time, we can protect our head because we have that shield and it can go kind of everywhere. But it can't protect our head and our loins and our chest. So we need to be shielded. But if there is a weakness in our armor, that faith is what can carry us through. And then we have an offensive weapon but it is only to be yielded righteously. It is the sword of the Spirit. It is the Word of God. Contention is not of me, said Christ. And so it's not to be used offensively, although it is an offensive weapon. It's to be used with love and with uh, purity. But make no mistake, there, there can be a defense made. And we can use that sword as needed to pierce to the hearts of our enemy and, and hope that the Spirit can reach their heart. Now, we know that Nephi has taught us that the wicked take the truth to be hard for it cutteth them to the very center. Right? It pierces it pierces them. They don't like it. So it may, that may happen, but at the same time, we may, we may hit their heart. The, the Spirit may hit their heart, I should say, and soften them. Um, one final quote about developing faith and putting on the armor of God. Developing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is a step-by-step, line-upon-line, and precept-upon-precept process. We promote the process of strengthening our faith and we do what is right. Increased faith always follows as a consequence. If we exercise our faith daily with prayer, study, and obedience, the Savior helps our unbelief and our faith becomes as a shield to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Alma taught that we may withstand every temptation of the devil with our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we can neither ignore nor reject the essential ingredients of faith and then, and then expect to reap a rich harvest. It's from L. Whitney Clayton. Putting on the armor of God is a, is, a, is a process that we go through throughout life. And every day we have to do that. Every day we have to make the decision to put on that armor and keep it on. These things combined together, our, our head and our heart and our loins and our feet, thoughts, our intentions, our, our virtue, 
our desires, our, our goals, our heart, our might, our mind, our will, combined together into one, as I mentioned, one Hebrew word combines these thought, these things together. And that's what creates us uh, having an eye single to the glory of God. That's what prepares us for the, the sacrament. So you see why the armor of God is mentioned in the same section as this, uh, this portion about the sacrament and having our eye single to the glory of God and how important that is. They're interrelated and connected. Thank you for listening. I hope, you, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I hope you will join me in the next episode as we discuss section 28 of the Doctrine and Covenants.